You're listening to Lost and Rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn. Time to get embarrassed with us. to another edition of Lost and Rewound. My name is Alon. Unfortunately, Jimmy has fallen ill this week, so he will not be here, and we wish him a speedy recovery. I miss him already. Often, you're breaking my heart. <laughs> In the meantime, uh, we look forward to a great show regardless, and we're sorry that he will not be here, but I am excited for the contents of what this show will have. So without further ado, let us get started. Patrick J. Riley is a Brooklyn-based stand-up comic and comic book connoisseur, currently heading up Carmine Street Comics in the West Village. Together, these two host their own podcast entitled We Wrote a Musical, and they are here this week to talk about just what that musical is, as well as share some earlier creative projects from their past. Welcome, Patrick and Kevin. Hello. How did you guys meet? We met at the Creek in the Cave. Yeah. Um, Is that where we met? Yeah. Okay. I don't remember where we first met. I just remember during Hurricane Sandy when everybody had like a week off from doing mics because you couldn't get anywhere in the city. Everything was shut down. Yeah. And I had found out that a bunch of comics lived in my neighborhood. So I just like put a thing on Facebook like, hey, if I put a mic on in my bedroom, would people come over and do a mic? And like 30 comics were like, oh my God, that'd be great. I haven't done comedy in five days. And then a bunch of people that I knew showed up and then – this kid who I met at a mic apparently once before just showed up with a bottle of wine, drank I, it immediately. I was very good friends with Will Carey. Okay. And he invited me. Okay. And that makes I, sense. And I, you walked from Sunset Park, Brooklyn to Woodside, Queens. I know you like, didn't. I get super cagey and I don't like being alone for very long. And Sandy was awful just because you were so trapped. Yeah. And also t- people lost their houses and died. But for me, I was <laughs> trapped and alone. So like I walked from Sunset Park to Woodside. I stopped at Atlantic. I saw Wreck-It Ralph by myself. And then I took a bus to Queens. And then from Queensboro Plaza, I walked to his apartment at Woodside. And I walked from that. Woodside to Bay Ridge because my now fiance, then girlfriend, lived there. So I just walked after Hurricane Sandy mm-hmm. when everything was shut down. I didn't have work. I just started a new job and was not at a phase where they had given me a computer that I could take home. So I just had a week vacation that I was getting paid for, which was great. I love this. I wrote a web series a couple years ago oh, yeah. called The Worst Landlord. And it was me and Will Carey, who was my roommate. And Lisa, my fiance, is a video production person. And she was like, you should write a web series that I can film and then we can work on it together. And all the ideas I had were really out there. And she's like, do something we can just shoot in the apartment that's just like two guys in an apartment. And so I did a whole thing where Will lived in an apartment and I was his weird landlord. And then each one was just this short two-minute goofy sketch. And I had the idea that I would bring in other comedian friends to play weird parts. And everybody bailed last minute. And then Pat showed up to do one. And then I just made his character a recurring character for 37 episodes of it. Phil Deadman. He was a dead guy who lived under the sink. Yeah. And then he becomes a bigger character. And then I slowly become like the the, villain villain of the piece. (laughs) 
It was it was a lot of fun. It yeah. was great. Um, I also wrote a prequel that we never did anything with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a Better Call Saul for Phil Tedman. Yeah, My yeah, goodness. Yeah, yeah. Was there something specifically about your landlord that just made you say, I cannot take this anymore, I am writing something about this? It was very much based on every building super I've ever had. I had one guy who, apparently this is not normal, but it happens a good amount of time, but it's not like a norm where the super would have keys to all the apartments and would just let himself in whenever. It's like, yeah. it's not illegal, but it's also like, hey. Common courtesy. You know? Right. So, like, I'd be home sometimes, and he would just come in and be like, oh, hey, I had to take a look at your sink. Why didn't you just say, hey, I'm going to be in your apartment? Yeah. And things like that. Or, you know, when things break and you can't get a hold of anybody to actually fix it. And mm-hmm. big things. Like, after Hurricane Irene, I lived on the top floor, so Hurricane Irene wasn't a big deal. But it, yeah. we got a lot of rain, and it went through my ceiling. And I saw, like, a little spot, and I was like, hey, I think there's a leak on the roof. Oh, okay, it'll be fine. And then the leak turns into a crack. And over the course of a week, it just got longer and longer. I was like, hey, I'm sending him pictures with my crappy flip phone at the time. And I'm like, hey, this is getting worse. And then I woke up when a giant piece of plaster fell out of the ceiling on oh, my bed. No. And then the guy was like, all right, I'll come by and fix it. And then two weeks later, he kept his word and came and fixed it. <laughs> oh, my God. So for two weeks, I yeah. just had a hole in my roof. <laughs> cool. Yep. What about you, Patrick? Something just as egregious as that? No, I've always lived with family or some sort. My grandfather owns an apartment building in Sunset. So I do have terrible stories, but they're also like, he's my grandfather. So you got to love him. He's a terrible, terrible, super t- landlord. Because it's, it's this one big apartment building. And it's just all my cousins and my brothers and I. We all just live in. Basically, my grandfather, um, he, he's had tenants in the past. But they all leave because he would do stuff like that where he would just yeah. walk into their apartment and he would kind of meddle with their lives because he has <laughs> nothing else to do. He's just an old, weird Puerto Rican retired guy who just doesn't like speaking English and doesn't like you. And that's how he kind of operates as a person. So after a while, he just stopped renting to other people and just rented to family. And I've lived in three of the apartments in every single floor. Each apartment just got visibly worse. Now I live in what could be considered a shack. <laughs> because I decided that I don't want to have to split a room or an apartment with my brothers or cousins anymore. So I got the smallest room, and I am crowded by books everywhere. So anytime uh, my grandfather comes in, I know he's in my apartment. If I get a text like, you got too many books, I'm going to start giving these away. I'm like, no, you can't because those are my things. <laughs> I said, like, if you give mine away, I have keys to your apartment. I'll start giving your stuff away. And I called him on his bluff one time. I had some old records. And it's not even like cool records. They're all just old Broadway vinyls that I found. And he gave them to my cousin. He lives in like Staten Island. My cousin sent me a text. I was like, hey, Juan just gave me some Broadway vinyls. Because I don't think he understands how music works, that people have different tastes. Are these yours? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no one has the Wiz or the Vinyl to Nine other than me. I have the Wiz. You have the Wiz. Yeah. So I found out he went through, and I just took his TV, and then I sold it on Craigslist. And then I gave him the money. I went, hey, I sold your TV. And he goes, why did you do that? I'm like, did you give away my records? He goes, you called your bluff? Good job. Good. Uh, proud of you. Um, I raised a good one if you if you sold my TV on Craigslist. <laughs> Did you listen to a lot of musical recordings growing up? or was It's this all just... I listen to. It's all you listen yeah, to? Yeah, I don't like regular music. I like maybe like 10 bands, and it's everything else is just musical theater. When was the first time you saw a musical? Live? I think I was seven. I saw Mark Anthony and Paul Simon's The Cape Man. It ran for 47 performances. It was critically panned. It was not very good. I don't remember anything from it other than my grandmother being so excited to see Mark Anthony on stage. 
and I think it was his, o- his only time ever being on Broadway. Being that Patrick grew up in New York and got a chance to see Broadway shows a little earlier on, Kevin, did you get a chance to visit New York, or was there an impression that you had had about Broadway musicals before you moved here officially? Not really. I visited New York once before I moved here. I moved here after college, and I was like 22, 23. Sure. And the only time I'd visited New York City was when I was 16 Mm -hmm. on a school trip. And I saw Mamma Mia on stage, mm. and I hated it. Hated it. Because it's a lot of ABBA. It's awful. And it's, <laughs> it's and terrible the, show. And the story it's is too also... too much ABBA. It's really dumb. So I'd seen that. I liked Wiz the movie and Little Shop of Horrors the movie. So I knew more like movie musicals and like the things our high school would do. But the first musical I saw where I was like, oh, this is really fun. Because like we did Any Get Your Gun and Anything Goes and all those high school staples. Every two months, someone would be doing Godspell. There's one guy that's still in New Hampshire... And he started his own theater company. And basically, he'll just do Godspell at high schools every year. Like, that's his bread and butter, is doing Godspell over and over and over again. Well, you got to give it up to him, because he's clearly committed to making the best production he could absolutely make, no matter what it takes, however long it takes. Right. But then in college, a friend of mine got the lead part in Bat Boy the Musical, based on the Weekly World News tabloid story. And it's fantastic. It's just a whole story about... These kids find the Bat Boy in a cave, and then he just eats everybody's cows. And is actually, well, that there's like a twist at the end where spoiler. Yeah, sorry, he's a vampire child, and Larry everybody. O'Keefe. Yeah. Oh, uh, who also did Legally Blonde the musical and, and Heather's the musical. And which Heather's, is yeah. Legally um, Blonde's pretty great. That's Legally been, Blonde is great. I've yeah. been singing Legally Blonde. I woke up for some reason singing <laughs> Legally Blonde. Today, yeah. And then I was just like, all right, I'll listen to it. I listen to it. I'm like, ah, oh, Legally Blonde's so yeah. good. Um, but that was like the first time where I was like, oh, musicals don't have to be these old timey, yeah. you know, because I do like Irving Berlin's Tin Pan Alley type songs, but it does feel very dated. So like, yeah. Even but, Hello Dolly. I was listening to Hello Dolly it's so, the it's other day. Dated. And it's so dated. And yeah. it's like from 19. 19- the main song from that is a guy saying, like, well, I need a woman to cook and clean for me. And that was yeah. like a love song back then. Like, it's yeah. super dated. But yeah. Bat Boy was one where it was like a rock musical. And I was like, oh, this is like really out there and like kind of new. And mm-hmm. even Rent is a rock musical, but it still plays into so many like classic musical tropes with a lot of things. But yeah. this was one where it's like, fuck Broadway, like, we're just going to make this crazy thing. And that was what I kind of like. We have our show now that we're working on it. Anytime we do any of the classic Broadway tropes, we immediately undercut it by making fun of that yeah, trope. About, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like one of the things I'm super proud of with the yeah. show is how we play into every single trope and then point out and go like, that's stupid as shit, right? <laughs> no one falls in love in a day. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> it's funny because uh, when David Piccolomini was on the uh-huh, show, Pickles. probably one of our more excitable was, guests. Was and yeah, He's an shit? excitable boy. Was he he talking shit? Oh, no, no, no. What what, what happened was uh, one of the clips that he had to share was his production of the Lewis and Clark musical he did when he was... Oh, the fourth grade one? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hysterical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. I looked up clips from it because when we were writing it, I was like, let me make sure nobody's done a Lewis and Clark musical. And the only thing I could find was the fourth grade version where I actually put in a line that was using that, like a bunch of kids. like, Lewis and Clark... Clark and Lewis. We put it in where now it's, it's Lewis and Clark. Clark. Clark and Lewis. Actually, that doesn't sound right. We're, We're Lewis, Lewis and Clark. Clark. Yeah. The Great Frontier. When did this come about? How did you decide you were going to make it? And where do you stand now with the project? You have a podcast about it, we obviously. Have a po- we, do. we have a podcast called We Wrote a Musical yeah. because we wrote a musical. Yeah. Couldn't be and more we, meta. Now we're, it's actually about making the musical again. We like, did a reading of it in October last year. Yeah, where, yeah, yeah. All right. Let's start at the beginning. Let's start at the beginning. A very good so place to start. We'll start home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We'll we start uh, with the seed of an idea, and then... We'll start at the seed um, We um, Halloween, the Halloween ha- show. Halloween show, but two years ago now? Three, yeah. Three years ago? Two years ago, we um, we did this Halloween show that I put together with Kathy Humes, 
and it was Little Shop of Horrors and Rocky Horror Picture Show done with karaoke tracks, and then we improvised the scenes in between the songs. Because yeah. the whole thing is like you need to license a play yeah. if you're going to perform it, but improv is legal and, and karaoke is legal. legal. So, we, so did... we just did an improvised karaoke version yeah. of Rocky Horror and Little Shop. Brilliant. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Kevin played Brad and Seymour. And I played uh, Riff Raff, Rocky, and uh, the, dentist. the Dentist. It was so amazing. We had a packed out yeah. house. Oh my People yeah, was... fucking went nuts. And we put a lot of work into it. We started prepping for it in like June of that year for a Halloween night show. Yeah, oh, we, we, were, start, yeah. we started getting ready, casting everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We had the venue set. We were like, great, we're going to do it. And then in September, we started going like, all right, everyone learn your words. And then all of October, we just spent getting ready for it. Yeah. It just went so well. And then... A week afterwards, Kevin and I were just so depressed. Oh, we so depressed. So... I love Little Shop so much. And, like, we, yeah. had, we had so many fun bits in it where, like... It was great. We was liked, so great. I tied in the American Psycho musical where I we just play, like, Hip to be Square. And, like, I'd chop up Patrick for ruining my scene. They, like, ruin the big love song number and... Yeah, we ruined Suddenly Seymour. Yeah. And then I get mad and it turns into American Psycho and I, like, do the monologue. We had so much fun doing it. And then we were super depressed after... And yeah. even, like, going back to just doing stand-up, it was like, I feel nothing from this. Like, yeah. we did a, a, this musical and, thing. And uh, a friend of ours was putting together a Christmas carol. Oh, yeah. But if it was written by David Mamet. And I played, what's his name? Cratchit. Uh, Cra- I played Cratchit. Bob Cratchit. Yeah. Um, I was the original Scrooge, but then I bailed. I dropped yeah, he out. Yeah, he bailed out. It, was, it just didn't have the same feel as the musical. Cause and, well, Andy kept, got, he kept changing the script every day. Every, every day. And I, sorry, who is this? Sam's, oh, I don't, uh, don't, yeah, was, I don't want to name names because uh, I didn't was, have fun working on it. Fun on I, <laughs> Fair enough. I, I had fun. It was Sam, Sam C. wrote it. Okay. And he, he, he's he been got, on the show before as well. Yeah. He just got in his head about it and he kept writing the script. At the end of the day, I thought it was very good. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. But, but I'm not a really good actor, and when you keep changing the script, yeah. I like I like couldn't study it, and I was like, just for the good of this show, I can't I, do it. I think I think he was a great director, though. He was he was That's a lot good. of fun to work with his director, um, but it just didn't have the same feel as working yeah. on that musical, and that musical was so incredible. So, so we fun. were sitting in a bar Read after, after, after rehearsing after, that after one. rehearsing the mammoth yeah. thing. Him and I were sitting in a bar. And we're like. We need to get that high again. And yeah. we just like, you know what? Let's write let's a musical. Write a musical. <laughs> and we sat in the bar and we just went through a list because we were like, We you literally know what? pulled out a notebook. We pulled right a notebook then. and we're like, let's here's a list of two man things that we can do. Yeah. And we wanted it to which be bar? something. Ooh, what was the name oh, of that it was, bar? It's um, on Bleecker Street. It was, it's, it's like right it's, up the It's Bleaker on Bleecker. Uh, it has a clown on it. It has the, the clowns on the door. I'm already there. Yeah. Oh, I don't man. remember the name it's of right it. It's right down the block from the Lynn Redgrave Theater. Okay. Yeah. And there. there's a monument to me and Patrick inside from yeah, where we yeah, conceived yeah. the idea. There's like yeah. a statue. Kind of like how the uh, White Horse Tavern has like the, this is where Hemingway sat. You yes. Know? It's like a dented, in, in, like indented seat. And they're like, there's Patrick's seat. My and scent then, is still yeah. on the stool. Yeah. yeah, we just started coming up with ideas that we could do where we're like we could be the lead people because we we've yeah. done a bunch of sketch stuff together and mm-hmm. weird duo bits. It's like, well, let's do. Something You've worked more... together, so this is something that was yeah. familiar to you, and yeah, it yeah. is uh, just a larger scale, much larger right. scale. We also were very naive about how large the scale was, which was probably <laughs> the greatest asset. We were like, we could just write the. We musical. could just write a musical, and, and we figured the easiest thing to do is to take a historical event, yeah, because then we wouldn't have to worry about. Right. But thinking up a well, no, we right. as much as thinking about like having to come up with a beginning, middle, end because it would be historically right. done for us. Yeah. So we, so we have picked to... Lewis and Clark. Yeah. We landed on Lewis and Clark because it's two guys. Mm-hmm. We can be Lewis and Clark, and it's got a clear like you know you know commission for the expedition. The actual expedition would be the middle, and then the end is obviously they get to Pacific Ocean. Exactly. So, we, so that was that was why we picked it, and then we just started thinking, what if we just ignore all the historical accuracy so that we don't even have to give a shit about what actually happened. 
to Lewis and Clark. Like, what if Thomas Jefferson's the bad guy because he's a lazy president? And, like, yeah. we just started coming up with all these, like, weird things. And then we got really excited about it. This was uh, November. November. And then December 5th of, what was that, 2015? That was when you came over. And, like, I wrote one of the songs. Yeah. And I was like, great. I wrote 17 pages of script. And yeah. then we just started reading he, it. He had started outlining the first act. Yeah. And I had, like, I, a really clear idea of, like, why is Jefferson the bad guy? And I, like, had a really good idea I, of the And then beginning. I wrote a love song between Sacagawea and Lewis. Yeah. And I was like, this is what the love song should be. And yeah. it's a parody of, like, Rodgers and Hammerstein, <laughs> where they're all like, oh, I love you so much, but I can't say it. Where this one is. An Lewis ordinary is... couple. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All that we should <laughs> Exactly, exactly. It was that, yeah. or like, if I loved you, I, <laughs> I think it's so funny, because it's just so... I, I love Oscar and Hammerstein, but it's just so like, just get fucking on with it. We right. know it's going to happen. <laughs> so in this version, it's uh, Lewis is just so awkward around women that he can't say I love you because he's going to throw up in his mouth. And that's the whole song is <laughs> Discovering You, which is him like about to say, I, I, I love yeah. you. And, and then like, ah. and then him like having a nervous mm-hmm. breakdown every single time. That was 2015. So 2016. Yeah. 2016. 2016, we just worked on the script. I was like, we're going to set deadlines for ourselves. All right, it's December. We have the holidays, blah, blah, blah. So by the end of January, let's try to have a first draft. Yeah, January and then we'll just... 25th was the exact day. We're like, by January 25th, <laughs> if we don't have a draft, I think we just call it. And then by... I, I don't think we said that. I think it was just like, well, as long as we have a first draft then, and then the goal will yeah. be every month we do a new rewrite. And then yep. once we feel it's good, we'll we'll just we'll start staging it and everything. Yeah. And then we wrote it all in the month of December, a month ahead of schedule, because we were yeah. just manically writing it. I wrote the opening song. It's called The Something Somethings where we set up that we don't actually know anything and they keep mm-hmm. saying in the 18-something-somethings and, like, they don't know what year it is or anything like that. Sacagawea sings it and then there's, like, a backup chorus of Native Americans and they sing about American history from the Native Americans' point of view. So it's all, like, genocide and, like, awful things that the white settlers were doing. Yeah, But it's, like, a very peppy Gladys Knight and the Pips type doo-wop number. Yep. But they're just singing about these awful historic events and just being, sure, like... Sure, sugarcoating it. Very sugarcoated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And genocide is never mentioned again. But it's just like, hey, we know because at like the, yeah, the keep few it back things in your mind, you know what happens. There's just this underlaying thing, just like real American history, where like underneath you're like, well, all this stuff was actually pretty terrible. What yeah. was going on? So I wrote that in an airport on New Year's Eve when I was like flying yeah, yeah, back yeah. to. I, I was going out to California, and my flight got three hours delayed, so I finished it there. And then I was like, oh, we just finished the first draft of the musical, so. Yeah. Then for four months, we rewrote it. We had a couple meetings with, like, actors that we brought into my apartment, and we did a reading in the apartment. And then I was working on the music at the same time. My goal was to finish it by June of that year, and I finished it in April because it was every day I would get up, work on it a little bit, go to work, come home, work on the music a bit more. And I finished it two months ahead of schedule. And then... Beautiful. Yeah, and then I think we did another reading, and then... We took the summer off because nobody could do it. And then we just picked a day in October that was actually the one-year anniversary of when we did that Halloween show. Yep. <laughs> just so within a year, we wrote a brand new. Yeah. And so we, we did it at the Creek in the Cave. And we just, you know, we it only. It was a good reception. We sold it out. We like, sold and, it out. Like to the point that awesome. our Mary, our lighting and sound person, was just like, how many people are you expecting? Because we're taking tables out, adding more rows. She's like, how many people do you think are coming? And, and we I, was like, we were like, I was like, well, how many does the room fit? And she's like, 40? And I was like, we have 76 pre-sales. We had free tickets, but we had a pre-sale so you had to thing. turn people away from the door? We people, had a, people, people were standing. Leaving, yeah. Some people left. Some people just ended up standing wherever they could to watch it. It was incredible. It's the stuff of envy, yeah. gentlemen. It's the yeah. stuff of envy. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's, yeah. July 24th, 28th, and 30th, we're at the New York uh, Theater Some, Festival, yeah. the Summerfest. Excellent. So we got That's in. new. That's brand new. We found out we got in. 
in January and then we had to recast a few parts and then we've been rehearsing for about a month now and we yeah. got two more months until the show so we're rehearsing it now we have an actual director we have an amazing piano player we have the girl playing Sacagawea Sarah so fucking great. oh my god her voice is She's fucking beautiful so, so incredible the cast is great the cast I'm is really, great it's gonna um, be it's gonna be good it's gonna be a full production for the reading even though we were in costumes we had our scripts on stage because we yeah. only had eight rehearsals that was all people could give time for. But this one, it was like, we're doing it for three months. And if you can't do it, let us know. And we recast it, whatever. And so now we're doing full character development and like yeah. really digging into the choreography and the singing and everything. And so it's like a full-on production of it. You have a Patreon for the project setup still? Yes. Yes, we yeah. do. We'll be starting a Kickstarter within uh, the next, within week, the next or so. week or so. Yeah. How is it having a Patreon and a Kickstarter for the two different uh, sides of the funding, I guess. The Patreon kind of is really like almost exclusively like we put through the musical where like we talk about in the musical, like donate to our Patreon. Yeah. But the Kickstarter is going to be everywhere. You're going to, yeah, it's going to be hard the, to miss. The Kickstarter is also like, hey, this is for we need now money because it's very expensive <laughs> to put it. Yeah. Just rehearsal spaces alone are, you know, even though we found like a pretty decent place, it's still like 50 bucks a pop and we're rehearsing for three months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, I have this money saved up, but yeah, we, yeah, we yeah. need some help. I'm not too proud to beg. And there's like going to be rewards. Like if you donate your tickets free for the show, or, you know, we'll give you the demo CD with seven of the songs, me and Patrick singing the songs. And yeah. the, you know, we have things like that. And, to yeah. try to make it, you know, incentivize people to throw money at us. Yeah, and... we also have signed copies of the script. Yeah, the cool things like that. I dig, yeah. it. I dig it. Kevin will write you a song. Oh, yeah, I'll write you a theme song. I wrote, I'll, I've written a bunch of theme songs for Friends Podcast, and I was like, I'll write you a 30-second theme song. You can be, like, Shaft with your boombox, and it's just Sing. like a song about the, you. Like and... the boombox right here in the studio. Yes. I don't know who left that boombox, <laughs> but whoever did, it's fucking pimp. People want to check out the Patreon, and just as well, they want to go take a look at the musical in its current state, obviously you are doing your podcast about it called We Wrote a Musical. And where do the people go to find out more information about The Great Frontier? There's a Facebook. Yep. The Facebook uh, is facebook.com slash Great Frontier Musical. I also have all the information on my website, which is kfcomedy.com. And there's a Great Frontier Musical page on that. It's just yeah. kfcomedy.com slash Great Frontier Musical again. And, and if, that's... You, if you can't find that, you can go to uh, comicsbypatrick.com slash Great Frontier, which will redirect you to Kevin's website. <laughs> Does uh, it really? Yeah, because I was going to do it. I'm like, it's already there. And I just it just redirects you to your website with Got all it. the information on it. Yeah, but right. yeah, it, it directs you to you know where you can get tickets and when the show dates are and more information about the show. You can listen to the demos, everything like that. Yeah. Great. You guys ready to get a little more lost and rewound? Oh, yeah. Oh, man, get yeah. embarrassed a little bit? As I'm, a little so, bit. I'm so embarrassed. I forgot what this was. And then when I walked in, I'm like, oh, this <laughs> is the worst. When we come back, we're going to find out just what the worst is. This is Lost and Rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn.
As we do here every week on Lost and Rewound, we invite you to share your old audio. This is the show where when your old audio is collecting dust, Jimmy and I knock on your door or email you being like, God damn it, we know you've got it. Come on and share it. And if you are able to be shameless in your present self, be shameless in your past self. Kevin. Yes. You were a part of a ska band in high school. Oh boy, calling it ska would be an insult to ska. I think <laughs> I I was I was in a straight up ska band in college called Ska Reem Abdul Jabbar. Ska. Um, <laughs> and that's when I knew that I was oh, destined to be goodness. a comedian instead of a ska musician. But what in, instrument did you play? I played the tenor saxophone. Okay. Um, were you playing in band as uh, early as uh, you know nine or ten? I was ten, and I started playing clarinet. And then in high school, I started playing the saxophone because I wanted to join the jazz band. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I taught myself flute uh, senior year with some help from the girl who was the first chair flautist in high school. Uh, because I discovered Jethro Tull and thought the flute was the coolest instrument. I never knew that there were like levels of coolness in instruments. I thought the flute and the saxophone were just as cool as the guitar, and it turns out that's not true. Right. This is something that our friend Matt Finch was talking about, how uh, playing the saxophone Mm -hmm. probably not going to necessarily get you in the good graces of a band, per se. No, no. But I was friends with all the people in high school that had bands, and so, like, I just like playing music. It didn't matter where. So, like, I had friends that had their little indie rock band, and then eventually they were like, oh, come play saxophone. And I would just, like, go to their weird community center gigs where a bunch of 16-year-olds playing saxophone. One time the bass player couldn't make it, so I just learned his bass lines on saxophone. It was weird, but it worked. So this band was called Fair Fight, and they described themselves as Scamo. Uh, this was at the... Scamo. Scamo. Uh, Ska and Emo combined. Yes. Uh, this was right when, uh, oh, what's the band? Uh, Fall Out Boy was in uh, their, you know... Their prime. Their prime. We're going... Yeah. So that, I, oh, I still don't like Fall Out Boy, but I could not get away from that song. And that whole wave of Emo was like the big thing for 2004, 2005, 2006 high schoolers. The more important thing about Fair Fight is that they were a short-lived band that I was in in high school that was featured on an episode of MTV's Made. So how did that happen? Well, what Made likes to do is go to high schools in the middle of nowhere, a lot in New Hampshire, actually. They were like, Why? Because, Why? Of, because we're desperate to do first anything. But, but you could pick anywhere on the East Coast. You yeah. could go to any one state of the <laughs> New England region. Why yeah. New Hampshire? I think it might have just been that year. I think that, I mean, if I worked at Viacom and, like, Wanted to be smart about it. I'm just going to go to this area of New Hampshire with a tiny little dinky school of people with very, very white piercing dreams. Oh, yes, yes. But if it were me, the smart thing to do would be like pick a state, find a bunch of schools in that state, and then knock out a whole season. So I think it might have just been our season. They happened to do like three episodes in New Hampshire, and like a lot of them were New England based around then. But they picked our school, and they had auditions to see who wants to be made into something. I had seen Made. I was very familiar with Made. I thought Made was just like every other... VH1 or MTV reality show was just dumb, uh, and and it is really dumb. Uh, so I did not even audition to be on Made. My friend Sarah, Sarah Metzger, our friend, oh. she went and said, I want to be made into a brown bear. <laughs> what? And she's she, the best. She's Yeah, she's great. She wore, like, a brown bear hat. She's like, well, I want, like, a, a maid coach. Like, I want someone to be like, hi, I'm Smokey the Bear. I'll be your maid coach. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, and basically, it's kind of sad, but what Maid will do is find who's the most pathetic person that we can put on TV. To so, be a talent scout in the mid-aughts, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So they picked this girl, Alexa, great singing voice, percussionist in the bands. She was in chorus, I think. But, you know, she was a capable 
talented musician, but she wanted to be in a rock band and just had all these anxieties and insecurities that kept her from doing that. So that was like the arc of the episode. She wants to start this rock band. She puts flyers up because she needs her band. Who's going to be in the band? And there was a poster around school that was like bandmates needed, guitar, bass, drummer. And I was a senior. She was a junior at the time. And all I wanted was to be on MTV for 10 seconds because I thought it'd be funny. I'll show up with my saxophone and just play a bunch of nonsense. And I'll be so bad that they'll definitely put it on TV. And that was all I wanted to do. So I show up. There's cameras recording this. And I came out with my saxophone, which nobody asked for to be there. And I just started playing a bunch of random notes. No song in particular. Just a lot of... Wait, bleh, 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 not, not even like jazz, free jazz or anything. Yeah, the, just... I, I saw the episode and the uh, the <laughs> clip that they use is him literally playing scales. Not even. Like, just... <laughs> then the best part is it cuts to the maid coach, who was this guy, Frank, who I still keep in touch with. He's really cool. He has this band, Waltham, uh, in Waltham, Massachusetts. Okay. They were pretty great. They were like this very 80s anthemic arena rock type sound, but they were a lot of fun. They were really cool guys. And it cuts to him in his like leather jacket and duct taped pants and everything. And just like, kid's pretty cool. Wow. And so I got into the band by being terrible, uh, which was not the intention. So I spent uh, a good two or three months of senior year being on MTV and just being ordered around by these MTV producers. And the whole episode culminates with us at the high school battle of the bands. We got second place because we had cameras and like a room full of people that were there to see us. It was really weird. Basically take everything that was going on at 2005, 2006, and let's shove it all into one band. Uh, And then I had the saxophone and they were like, well, you got to throw some like Boston's in there. Or like, I mean, Boston's and like morphine was like the other big band that they were like, Oh, you got to listen to these. And this is like, wow. Frank's like this, like, 40-year-old dude is just like, no, listen to Morphine and, like, all these other bands I've never wow. heard of. Morphine's still wow, one of my wow. favorite bands. Yeah, no, but it's just really funny to that it that they're like, just <coughs> follow these bands, kid. It's yeah. all it'll take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll find your muse. Yeah. They basically put me in because I was just this goofy, awkward kid. I do not come off looking cool at all in the episode. Jordan, the bass player, had, like, a crush on her, so there's, like, this love triangle, and this 14-year-old kid was the guitarist to my friend Joey, who's an amazing guitarist. He, like, went full Cobain in those three months and was just like, oh, I hate being on this show. I hate the fame. always got to be one. Yeah, and so he, like, disappeared into the woods for, like, a week. (laughs) There's, like, all this stuff. As you do. And then there's just me being, like, this goofy, lanky kid. I basically just look like this, but I had more hair and a higher voice and no facial hair. And I would just play the saxophone, and they'd be like, okay, here's this indie rock song. Now, Kevin, uh, play some saxophone with it. And I knew nothing about writing music at the time or, like, how to write. I was very bad. When we listened to it, I cringe at it because it's just me trying to force the saxophone into it as much as possible. And now that I've written the musical, it's like, oh, it's okay to have, like, silence. You don't need to have constant things going on. Yep. So it was, oh, it was so bad. We only lasted a couple of months. We did the Battle of the Bands at the high school. We signed up for another Battle of the Bands later. And then after that, just everybody imploded, <laughs> and it fell apart. So we have two clips to listen to uh, on that note. We do have the flagship song by yep. Fair Fight called Teenage Calamity. <laughs> and then um, let's play that now, and then we'll get to the Battle of the Bands okay. after. Okay.
for your betrayal and lies. Thank you for avoiding my Those were the oh those my God. terrible. <laughs> and you're gonna hear me sing about a squirrel later. Oh my it's God. real. Oh man. I it haven't was... listened to that. I know I sent this in, but I I wanted to listen to it so I could have some commentary right now, but then I listened to those opening lyrics and I had to shut it off and I was like, no, I want whatever I I, I need this to be real. I'm sorry that we had to listen to that. I love <laughs> it's I, so started bad. La- I started listening because there's no reason for a saxophone to be in it. No. And I just love the idea of the, like somewhat like record producers. But it's just like someone just like Hey, hey, who let that kid in? <laughs> Get out of here. We're trying to write an emo oh punk God. song. I wish we'd recorded more of our songs because there were other ones that they like we all wrote it together. Hey, the saxophone can fit in here. Yeah. And it made sense. But this one, it did not make sense at all. And it was just like, well, what can I play here? And they're like, oh, we'll just play over like, the vocals. Yeah, yeah. It's also, uh, man, it's, it's, it's sound, uh, it sounds like friend like you, <laughs> friend like me. Now, <laughs> now, at this time, you hadn't discovered comedy per se. Yet. No, but boy, but, were people laughing. And yeah, <laughs> point taken. You were involved in some kind of form of songwriting. So this is sort of like a glimpse into your first days as a songwriter in some respects. Yeah. Do you see it the same way that I'm seeing it? It is a first foray into songwriting, or were you kind of hands-off for the most part? You just played the sax and then let everybody else... I just played the sax. There were other songs that I had much better saxophone contributions on. Okay. I was in bands all through like high school and college, and like yeah. my college band was where I actually... like I've gone back and listened to that. I was like... That's probably where I plateaued with saxophone, but it was like okay, I like I'm actually like proud of some of the stuff we did in that. But yeah. I realized that I didn't really enjoy playing original songs. I always loved playing cover. Like I would love to just be a dad in a cover band. I think that's my <laughs> destiny is to oh, just yeah. be a dad in a cover You're, band. I can't wait for you to be like, you guys ready for some Jimmy Buffetts? Oh, when I oh so I'll <laughs> just become my dad? <laughs> yeah, become your dad. Oh, oh boy. I'm so excited for this weekend. We're gonna spend this weekend with his parents. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's gonna be fun. And it's gonna be great um, to just talk uh, Springsteen with his mom. And <laughs> yeah, what did they think about this? About Fair Fight? Oh my God! My favorite thing about it was that the maid coach, the guy in, from the band Waltham, he was also like, "This is stupid." And I was like, "Yeah, this is stupid." He's like, "Rock and roll, yeah, doing a thing, <laughs> even though it's stupid." On the same page, making fun. But like the teachers, it was so disruptive to every class. If we were in a class, like cameras would come in to get clips of us in our natural habitat, and it was so distracting. Our music teacher hated it most of all because it would ruin rehearsals. They would stop the rehearsal. Alexa has a speech to make in front of everybody. And then he'd be like, yeah, we're rehearsing some James Swearingen marches right now. So could you please not do this? My parents thought it was a weird thing. I was a very quiet kid, so it was weird that I was doing anything in front of people. But senior year, I kind of went off the deep end with just like, I'm graduating. Let's just do all the weird stuff as possible. And so this was just like another thing. Like, yeah, Kevin's just doing this dumb, weird thing. That's so funny. The tragedy was like all the other people in the band were very, very talented. Jordan, the bass player, he was a guitarist mostly, so he can still play the bass. He's doing his job as the bass player, but Joey's guitar solo on that, I'm like, I forgot how insanely good he was as a 14... That was really good. As a 14-year-old yeah. kid. I remember... The, you always have that friend who's like the oh guitar prodigy when you're growing so up. So good. 
Uh, and Becca, the drummer, she still plays occasionally with like cover bands. She lives out in the Midwest now and she actually just became a special education teacher. Oh, cool. uh, and she's married. She lives out in Fargo and like has like her own life, but she still plays drums occasionally. And Sweet. She, like, she posted a video of her. She's playing Victoria, the Kinks song. It's got like a long 60s stoner title but i'm so happy she still plays because she was so good at the drums she could play jazz she could play rock she was just like the kind of person that's like we need someone to play and she could do it and her dad worked for the rock station the radio station so her whole basement was just rock memorabilia so like oh, that wow. was my favorite part was i'm like you have emerson lake and palmer's drum head over here and like a signed copy of tommy the album and just like oh, wow. crazy rock memorabilia that mm. i loved so much no big deal yeah they thought it was funny more than anything because then i didn't realize that mtv and made were like big things. The episode ended. It was like, oh, we're a rerun now. And we thought it was funny. But then for like. We're a, a rerun we're now. We're a rerun. For a good week, we were, until the next episode aired, we would like walk around Concord, New Hampshire. People would be like, hey, you're the guy from that thing. Like people would recognize us on the street. And I'm like, oh, I understand why people like Kurt Cobain get fed up with fame. Like this is really annoying. You think it's going to be cool because all these people saw a thing on TV. But then you realize, oh, they're going to bother you all the time. Like this is why the teachers were equally bothered. And we were also like 16. So we're yeah. just egomaniacs walking around like we're on TV and everything like that. My parents did not like that I was sneaking out of the house to go to these band practices sometimes. A couple times sneaking back into the house at sure. 3 in the morning. They didn't know this, but we were in like a warehouse in Waltham with like all these <laughs> like metal bands. And they were all doing mm, like... Those. They're doing like pills and drinking whiskey yeah. out of cups. And I didn't do any of that stuff. Rough, those hooligans. Yeah. They didn't They didn't use any of the footage from that because everybody but me were smoking pot and drinking rum out of the bottle in the background. And I was like, no, my parents will murder me if I come back doing any of this. That's how rock and roll I was. I was like, no, I don't want to make my parents upset, which was a good call because I came home, snuck into the house, shut the door and then turned the light on. And turned around and my mother was sitting on my bed waiting for me in the dark. And she goes, where the fuck have you been? In hindsight, it was hilarious. But at the time, it was one of the most terrified times I've ever been. Did they go to the Battle of the Bands to support you? Yes, they did. They did. They were very supportive. And they're like, well, we got to see this. Then they just think it's a, a weird MTV phase that I went through where I was on MTV. And and we I remember we went out to dinner as a family once. And the table next to us was like, hey, do you go to Hopkinton High School? Do you go to this school? I feel like I know you from somewhere. And then I was like, no. And then afterwards, my dad was like, Oh, they recognize you from that show. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Because it was really weird. They're like, I've seen you from so... You go to this school, right? Why do I know you? And then my dad was like, oh, you know him from... Because he was on TV. And they thought that was really funny. And it was a good, uh, like, year and a half that people would recognize me. And other people, too, I'm sure. But I went to college a year later. And people would be like, I remember you from that episode of Made. I never talked about it in college. Yeah. But people would recognize me the first couple years of college from that. And every now and then it would re-air... And people be like, oh, my God, that's you, but goofier looking. I feel like there is now this point in our society where people can be famous kind of by accident, whereas before yeah. it was a lot more premeditated and orchestrated. And then when there's the afterglow of that fame mm -hmm. and there's the subsiding period where everyone's noticing you, people just weren't really accustomed to that back then. Whereas now I feel mm -hmm. like everyone's accustomed to maybe the very possibility that your tweet or Instagram uh, yeah. video or Snapchat thing has been seen that's a good point because this was also the first year of youtube being a thing yeah it, but it was really it was before there were like viral video stars or anything like that but then you fast forward like two years later and donald glover's whole sketch group Derek comedy blows up if i saw donald glover on the street in 2007 even though he was technically a nobody i would be like oh my god i'm starstruck because i yep. love all of your videos on youtube yeah but this was the very last year of being famous from being on an actual television station instead of here's a tweet or you know youtube there was no social media it was still myspace we were on myspace still 
We got to get to the Battle of the Bands clip. This was right before our breakup. Because the uh-huh. bass player and the lead singer were dating and then not dating, it caused a big riff. So we decided to kick the bass player out. It was very emotional. He was very mad. And then we replaced him with a friend of Joey's who played bass. And then this was a song that the bass player had written with the lead singer. And it was very, very slow. It was like, doom, 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 doom. And it was very whiny. And I was like, I don't like this. And then Joey and the bass player were like, hey, what about this? And it was like, oh, this is actually fun. And it's also the closest we got to actually playing a ska song. Um and uh, yeah, and I, I learned how to growl with the saxophone, so I do that incessantly in this. Let's hear it. Here we go. Looks like it's just set
was really solid. I don't think that was anything to be embarrassed about. That song I actually was very proud of. Everybody contributed to it. It's definitely the most solid song. Yeah. Everybody sounds as good as they actually were. I figured out what it is. That song sounds like three different bands are playing the same song. <laughs> That's what it is. I'm sitting here. I'm like, it's not bad, but it, the lyricist, she wants to be in like an emo-y kind of band. Yeah. The drummer and the guitarist wants to be kind of like the Clash. And then you and the bass player are just like, real big fish. Let's yeah. this. But they all just came together. Yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah. it's this weird pie. That's a problem I've had with every band I've ever been wow. in, where we all have such varying tastes that song is the one where it actually is like oh this actually works even though everybody has something totally Totally different different, going on but it works teenage calamity is just a mess because i don't need to be there no everyone's in a different band everyone's in a different band playing the same song but i mean like becca's drumming i'm just like oh like this is the one i'm like oh she's such a good drummer joey's guitar solo is like so good on this the bass is solid it's like there's her singing sounds so much better on this it does sound much better but the thing again is you hear the guitar playing and then you hear the saxophone and they're playing the same song together, yep. but at the same time, I'm like, oh, they don't know that they're on different stages. The yeah. lyrics were better in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still I also realized at the end... Very teenage girly. Yeah, in the sax solo towards the end, where it just turns into... I realized my favorite thing to do with the saxophone when I, was just to quote random other songs. So that was just... Me playing Strokin', Strokin', the uh, Billy Squire song. It's in, uh, plays at the end of Billy Madison as well. Oh, okay, now I know it. Strokin', Strokin', it's called The Stroke. There was another song we did where I didn't know what key it was in because neither did she. Uh-huh. And the five notes that we knew were in the song happen to be the same notes that you can use to play Moving Right Along from the Muppet movie. Love it. So at <laughs> the end this, yeah. So yeah, so at the end of the song I would just play the dun 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 and nobody knew it was from the Muppets except for me. So I just pretended that I wrote it and we played it at Battle of the Bands and only one other person was like, that's from the Muppets. And I was like, yeah, nobody called me on it. That was, that was a good song. I'm surprised you guys did not win first place just based on that song. Uh, there were some really talented people there. <laughs> yeah, but you guys held your own. And uh, uh, I can only imagine what the rest of the band members would probably think of hearing this uh, now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but they will. R.I.P. Yeah. No, I'm going to tag them in this when it, when it comes out. I'm going to post it and promote it and... Let's get a reunion tour. In the meantime, let's dig into this song, Patrick. What inspirations did you get from this song? Man, all I wanted to do was stand up. I went to a performing arts high school. All we would do is about like theater and plays and musicals. And I was 16 when I did this. And I was doing stand up once a month at the Ha Comedy Club on 48th Street in Times Square. I was obsessed with Tenacious D, Stephen Lynch, and Weird Al. And I figured that I should write comedy songs, but I didn't know how to write music. So I just sang an R&B song without any music whatsoever. On a train, I wrote a song about squirrels. And this is called The Squirrel Song. It's so bad. Sorry, you sang this on stage at Ha? No, I did not. I did sing it on stage at Ha. This is not the recording of that. This is the basement tape version. This is is the basement tape. I put this on YouTube. I used to do a lot of slideshows on Microsoft Movie Maker. So on YouTube, you can find this with a bunch of squirrel stock images. Yes. (laughs) But the song is what's most important. Yeah, there's a bunch of squirrel images. Yeah, this is so bad. (laughs) I listened to it. I I didn't even get through it. I listened to half of it when I sent it because I don't have much audio of me singing in high school except um, for this except for this because a lot of it like the audio i have of singing is my friends and i and all my other friends were very talented and then there was this me who was like hey everybody let's do a song 
Kevin, I don't want you to hear Patrick, this. Patrick, we, we wrote a musical together. I, I know you have no talent. Let's yeah. play the song. It's cold outside. What can I say? Waiting for you. My nuts have been freezing all day. Gonna have my babies. I'm gonna give you rabies. You know it's true. I wanna squirrel you away. I like to scratch, 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 climb up that tree. And all these nuts wanna do is get between you and me. Gonna fluff my tail, girl, I'm gonna make you wail. Gonna make you twitch, you crazy squirrel, bitch. I'm gonna squirrel you away. Yo, girl, let me talk down to you for a second. I see you talking to that raccoon and that rat. And you know what? They don't have what I have. Some fine-ass black squirrel dick. Climbing this off until I pull out my gun. Don't look away, you know chipmunks are gay. I'm gonna squirrel you away. I'm gonna squirrel you away. I'm gonna away. I'm gonna away. Cause you know them chipmunks is gay. I'm gonna squirrel you away. You wouldn't have a chance with them anyway. Cause they're gay. And they're squirrels. 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 Oh my goodness, goodness, goodness. The best part so is... So weirdly homophobic. And, and you know what's really interesting too is, is that the video... Is how gay I am? Yeah. The video, the video, it cuts off the last letter on the screen. Written and directed B. Patrick Ryle. Oh, you turned off the margin thing. The yeah. Aspect. Yeah, I did that once. Yep. I remember early 2000s iMovie. Modest beginnings. And, oh, yeah. Uh, a little racist, a little misogynistic. Very misogynistic. Uh, very poor wordplay at the end. Terrible why why did he have to have a big black squirrel dick? You really set it up with the nuts yeah, I don't, joke. No, you really could have. It wasn't. Yeah, I don't know. I a, were, few notes. a few <laughs> notes. Uh, weirdly homophobic. I don't know why. Yeah, what do you got against chipmunks? At 16, just like, huh, these fucking gays. Little did Patrick know <laughs> that, uh. It was going to be all weird in about a couple months, and you'd be like, fine after that. Man, it was so weird. It was That was terrible. I understand why you want to write a thing, but why um, share you... this with anybody? I thought it was funny. Okay. I thought it was and funny. Now, why did you think that? Um, because uh... – It is funny, but not for the reason 16-year-old you thought. That has like 2,000 views. What year did you post this? 2008. Oh, okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so Golden age. How many views does that have on YouTube? <clears throat> Almost 3,000 views, five likes, and five dislikes. Oh, five dislikes? That makes sense. Uh, <laughs> five likes? Who are you? Uh, <laughs> man, it's so weird. There's one comment, and she's like, this is the best. And I'm like, how dare you? Uh, <laughs> how dare you encourage this? I used to do a ton of videos because my friends and I, even during class, we would just make sketches and stuff. And there's like so many videos on my old YouTube of sketches in high school that oh, my wow. friends and I would film. And those weren't terrible. Like, it's a bunch of kids in high school. Yeah. But even for, like, kids in high school sketch, it was still pretty good. A lot of it was kids in the hall and, like, yeah. Mr. Show stuff. But it's all watchable and, like, laughable. This is the only thing I'm truly embarrassed by that is still out there. Well, I'm glad that we were able to find a medium of which to play it for yeah. our <laughs> listenership. Um, I'm glad I got to hear that. Anytime you have, like, a note for the cast about just, like, hey, try to sing it this way. Hey, uh... 
I want to play you guys a song called uh, Squirrel. What's the name of that squirrel? The Squirrel Song. Great, the Squirrel Song. Great title. Yeah. And that's yeah. coming from a guy who wrote a song called the Act One Finale Song because he couldn't think of a better title. The July 24th uh, show of... July 24th, July 28th, and July 30th. Yep. And what else do you have coming up before then? Any other shows to plug? Uh, you guys yeah. perform quite often. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I co-host a show at QED in Astoria called Press Conference. It's a comedy show where at the end of each comedian's set, they open it up to questions from the audience, like a Sean Spicer type press conference, but they're not hiding in the bushes. And it's a lot of fun. The audience can just shout out any question they want, and the comedian will answer it as earnestly or not as they want. And it's, it's, so, it's so much fun. I do at QED also. I do every first Wednesday of the month. I do Dunces and Dragons. Oh, yes, is, yes. Uh, Sam had talked about that the last time. Basically, it's just um, a challenge-based comedy show where comedians have to go on a quest with the audience. Uh, I also do uh, Pants on Fire at Brand Saloon last Sunday of the month. It's a trivia game show with comedians. And I have a new book coming out at the end of the month, which will be available at Carmine Street Comics during Pride, called The Narcissist Travels. Excellent. Um, oh, and we're both in Clip Show, the yeah. sketch comedy group. Every second, second Saturday. Saturday of the month, The Creek in the Cave. 7 p.m. Yeah. yeah, we'll be at... Cinderblock Comedy Festival. So will Dunces and Dragons too, and um, maybe my dog, probably my dog. Maybe, <laughs> hopefully. I, I mean, it doesn't hurt to have a little canine companionship. Patrick J. Riley and Kevin Frolix here on Lost and Rewound. Thank you very much for being here. Thanks. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we'll be back in a little bit to wrap up here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Did you like today's show? If you did, please donate to Radio Free Brooklyn. It's really very easy. You want to go and support with either your love of Lost and Rewound or your love for all the content that Radio Free Brooklyn has to offer. There are two options. Your first option is you go to radiofreebrooklyn.org slash pledge. Our Patreon page is there and you could donate a dollar. or an Alexander Hamilton is what I used to call it um, because I'm lame. And you have many different choices of donation level. And for each donation level, you get a perk, a gift, because you deserve that. We're a nonprofit organization now. So whatever your donation you provide to us will be a charitable contribution. Keep us going, striving into this new season, season five. And Lost and Rewound, he's here for our third season. And if you want to be a sponsor for the show, you would want to go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash LAR. We can certainly use your personal financial touch to help make this show even better. Thank you again for joining us on this edition of Lost and Rewound. And we will be back next week with a hopefully recuperated Jimmy Hoffman. Take care. Listening to oh man, already <laughs> forgot it. You're listening to Lost and Rewound. No, already gone. You're listening to Lost and Rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn. Time to get embarrassed. Oh no. <laughs>